New York City is growing bigger and bigger by the year, but African Americans are packing up and moving out in staggering numbers. After the city's non-Hispanic Black population dropped by over 120,000 people, what's driving this exodus and how could it shape New York's future? Metrofocus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Rafael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold. Dr. Robert C. and Tina Schoen Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, and the estate of Roland Carlin. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jenna Flanagan. It might come as a surprise that with all the challenges New York is facing from skyrocketing rents to surging crime, the city's population is actually growing. But that's not the case for every group, especially African-Americans, whose numbers appear to be headed in the complete opposite direction. Now, a recent Gothamist analysis found the number of non-Hispanic Black residents declined by more than 125,000 over a 20-year period, with local social scientists attributing the majority of the exodus to the shrinking African-American community. It's reportedly one of the largest such declines among major cities nationwide. So why are so many Black New Yorkers deciding to pack up and leave? And what could be the ramifications culturally, economically, and politically if this trend continues? Tonight, we're exploring these issues as part of our Chasing the Dream initiative. And first, I'd like to welcome Aria Sundaram. Now, Aria is a race and justice unit reporter for WNYC and Gothamist and author of the recent story, The African-American Exodus from New York City. Aria, welcome to Metro Focus. Lovely to be here today. Thanks, Jenna. I'd also like to welcome Dr. Zalima Blair. Dr. Blair is a, she studies the city's changing black population and serves as chair of the public administration at CUNY Medgar Evers College. Dr. Blair, welcome to Metro Focus. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And we'd also like to welcome Anthony Cunningham and Joanne Saget, the husband and wife team who ran a heralded Bed-Stuy restaurant before relocating to North Carolina. Anthony and Joanne, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, you, Jenna. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for being here. And so, Aria, I want to start with you and just sort of ask um, about the genesis of this story. Uh, it's something that I think a lot of people in the community might have felt, but other New Yorkers, again, we live in such a diverse city, but we're not always the best at paying attention to each other. So how did this story even come to be an issue? Sure. So I, like you said, I am a race and justice unit reporter. I cover you know, race across the city. And one of the ways that I think is really important to understand, um, to understand race in New York City is to understand the city's demographics, right? How are demographics changing? How is the city's population um, you know, different ethnic groups and different racial groups, where are they moving across the city? And when I dig, dug into the numbers a little bit more, um, I noticed this like pretty stark trend of the number of non-Hispanic Black New Yorkers decreasing. Um, and like had just 
dug more and more into the numbers and talked with people about how um, how this change was was manifesting in in their lives. You know, this is something that talking with talking with people in Bed Stuy um, across New York City, we talked about gentrification. We talked about these kinds of micro level neighborhood shifts, but it was wild to really see this kind of larger demographic shift playing out across the whole city. And so, and this is a question that I do want to address to the entire panel, but Ari, I'll start with you. What were you sort of sensing as the reason why people were just like, that's it, I'm out? Sure. Um, and that's, you know, that's a tricky question to try to answer. <laughs> I'm sure like social scientists, you know, rack, rack their heads over this very question, the push and pull factor, so to speak. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, talking to a number of people, economics is is definitely part of it, right? Um, the fact that, you know, there's a, a housing crisis in New York City um, that is also disproportionately impacting Black and particularly African-American New Yorkers in the city. You know, this was something that came up again and again. And, you know, some part of it, obviously, is, is people um, choosing to leave, too. You know, it's hard to, to try to figure mm -hmm. out how much of this is displacement, like how much of this is people choosing to leave, and that's obviously part of it. You know, uh, a number of African-American New Yorkers had come, um, had migrated here, um, you know, or, or their ancestors had migrated here in the Great Migration, 1910 to 1970. Uh, but it seems like, um, you know, and so a number of these, like a number of African-American New Yorkers uh, are, are getting older too. And part of it's like, you know, you want to find a place to live that you can settle down and, you know, maybe have your retirement dollars stretch a little further. Maybe you want to get away from the hustle and bustle of the city. But a lot of it seemed to come down to economics in my conversations. Well, Dr. Blair, I'm wondering from your studies um, and just experience living in the city, what is your take on why we're seeing this uh, seemingly exodus of Black New Yorkers? Yes, um, I agree. Uh, as I was combing through the numbers, income over the last 10 years, at least, even just looking from 10, 2010 to 2020, if you just take those census numbers, African-Americans, their income have only increased by say 5,000. That's a very small number when you look at how the cost of, of living have increased over that uh, last 10 year period. And so uh, New Yorkers, at least African-American New Yorkers, it's just a matter of income stagnation. They have not been able to keep pace with society. They have not been able to keep pace with rent, with mortgage, um, with the cost of food and just the cost of living overall. And then on top of that, to raise a family, the majority being single, female-headed families, uh, it's a difficult thing to do. And so um, for some, I would say New York City is starting to become a hostile um, environment, if you will, at least financially. Well, then building on that point um, to Anthony and Joanne, I mean, again, as I mentioned in the intro, you both uh, were established. You ran a restaurant that people knew and loved in a black neighborhood in Brooklyn. And yet you also had your reasons for leaving. So I was wondering if you could take us through um, that decision process. Well, one of the, we had a very good business um, in New York City, Cafe Lutora Bakery. Um, we decided to leave because we wanted to grow our business. Um, our, our business, basically, we needed a larger space to grow our business. We basically had a small bakery, about 300 square feet. So we needed a larger space to grow. 
um, COVID had hit, it was time to shut down. So the South gives you opportunities to purchase Rocky Mount when we moved to North Carolina. There was an opportunity to come to Rocky Mount and purchase a nice building for our bakery that we could actually own versus renting. Because our, our plan for our business is to open up several franchises of our business. And you can't do that in New York City. We wanted to run production of our patties, which we're well known for. Um, you need space to do that. And New York City just doesn't have the space to do that. And we also wanted a different quality of life. Me, my family from South Carolina, I they migrated to New York City Bed-Stuy in the 40s. So I kind of wanted to go back home to where my family started and finish what they started. There's a lot of potential in the South. This is where my family's from. So I need to continue the journey to get back what was stolen from my family back, you know, in the 1900s when they left, when they left South and they came to New York City. You know, Arya, that's very interesting that there seems to be a uh, a loop almost of what started as the Great Migration. People are returning back to where their families uh, left to move north in the first place. And I'm wondering if any of your reporting was able to bear out why people, it's not just that they're moving south, but a lot of people, again, are moving back to where their families uh, left back in the, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, sometimes even 50s. Right. I mean, and and it's what social scientists, you know, are, are calling you know, the, the reverse great migration, so to speak, uh, you know, following this 1910 to 1970s um, trend of African-Americans moving northward to places like New York City, Chicago, et cetera. You know, many African-American New Yorkers um, and folks across across the country in these kind of major northern and western, midwestern cities are deciding to move south. And, and to be clear, like part, part of uh, like a number of, of black New Yorkers are also choosing to move to the suburbs. Um, but it is this trend that we're seeing of a number of people deciding to move southward. Um, and there's lots, lots of reasons for that. Right. Like I think a lot of um, what we're talking about right now about economics it plays into this, but also part of it can be, you know, familial ties, right? Like a, a lot of African-American New Yorkers um, and folks maybe whose families moved up from the South, um, you know, in the, in like, you know, the last century might still have family down there. You know, Anthony, for example, was talking to me about having family and moving, um, you know, visiting, visiting the South in the summers. And that might, that might also factor into what we're seeing as well. And also people, you know, I've heard stories of people, um, you know, college students, for example, moving South, stay, like deciding to stay someplace after, afterwards. And it's, I think it's also bears out it's important to say like this is part of like a larger national shift of we're seeing like increasing um you know increasing populations overall in places like you know in texas and other parts of the south too so it's not just for for african-american folks not just for black folks it's it's a it's a larger trend that we're seeing across the board well of course uh and i do want to get deeper into the economics part of it and politically but culturally uh dr blair i want to ask you, part of what seems to have made some northern cities, if you will, stand out, um, Chicago comes to mind, but definitely uh, New York City, Harlem, um, Brooklyn, very big as hip hop uh, came of age, if you will. Culturally, what does that mean if these uh, traditionally, or at least for a long time, black neighborhoods uh, cease to be? What does that happen? What happens culturally to New York? 
Um, culturally, um, you know, if, if places, people, places, and things are wiped out, um, we see buildings, museums, et cetera, um, landmarks um, not being the same as they were previously, churches, et cetera, parks. If those move or those become different spaces, there's nothing really left to pass down um, two generations. You know, thankfully, as you met, pointed out with hip hop, they're building a museum. Um, but many of our children also don't visit these cultural places. They're not taught about it in, in the schools. And so culturally, if we don't write about it and speak about it and tell the stories, a lot of our history could be gone. Um, in um, Bedford-Stuyvesant and other places in central Brooklyn, as we see those numbers uh, in the black community start to decrease, it could also mean a shift someplace else. And so we see it in our schools, you know, we won't get as many African-American teachers to teach this cultural phenomenon. Uh, we won't get students talking to each other about, you know, what's happening in their households in terms of their parents and the type of music and food that they eat. Uh, and so culturally, we could see a big void um, as, as this continue uh, uh, to, to go on. Well, going back to Anthony and Joanne, I'm wondering, I mean, I, you sort of explained your reason for your decision to leave, but do you still know people who are still in your old neighborhood and have they also, are they considering moving out? Um, have they shared with you why they might be considering leaving New York or are they committed to staying come what may? Um, we do know a lot. We still have a lot of friends. We also have family um, still living in New York City, Brooklyn in particular, and pretty much all over the tri-state area. Um, New Yorkers have a, they're, they have a hard time thinking about moving somewhere else. Um, even if they're not originally from New York, they've established, you know, their living and the type of lifestyle and they really love it. And they're not thinking about it, but there's a shift to that conversation because while they're not thinking about it, they're definitely feeling the economical impact that is, you know, um, straining on them. So they start having the conversation. So yeah, right? the question is, the question is like where we live. We still have our, our brownstone in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. We still, you know, we still have our community. We reach out to every week. Um, some people have decided to leave because they want larger backyards. They want cheaper mortgage. They want cheaper rent. They have kids who are getting older. They want a different lifestyle. A lot of people are leaving because of that. We spoke to some because of the lifestyle. The South is a different lifestyle. It's the weather. It's the uh, community. There is a, a, a history here also, which a lot of New Yorkers, you don't know, know don't know about. This is where slavery happened. This is where you know Harry Tubman ran through you know the railroads here. This is where. You know, you go to South Carolina is where the Geechee people live. So there's history here too that is that is huge. You know, this is the South is where I come from. So I'm just going back home to where I'm from to finish what my grandmother, great grandmother, great grandson. They had land, they had property. So I came back to reclaim what's mine. It's like anybody else would come. I came to get back what was mine, basically. So I just wanted to add, Jenna, we're seeing both. We're seeing people who um you know, they don't intend on leaving. And then we've seen people that, you know, like really yeah. rethinking it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a different kind of like, we live in a small town. 
of 50,000. So it's, you know, it's, it's very different than a place of New York City where there's more restaurants, there's more like, you know, block parties as you would have. It's just a different type of orientation of a community. Is there a lot of black people at the time we live in? It's 70% black in Rocky Mount, but it's just a different type of orientation of a black community. And they're know? also opening up, you know, more yeah. culture. More culture here, yeah. So. Culture is very strong in the South. This is where a lot of us come from, you know? Mm -hmm. What I did want to also ask, um, especially uh, Aria having reported on this story, is whenever we talk about something about Black New Yorkers, I do want to emphasize that uh, not all Black New Yorkers are all African Americans. There's a, quite a wide diaspora. And so I'm wondering if you were able to break down the numbers any further to get a sense of, um, is it really just African Americans or is this um, specifically any other groups who might be actually getting a foothold and growing in New York as African-Americans are choosing to move south. Right, and I, I would actually love, I'll, I'll tackle this, but I would love for Dr. Blair to touch on this because she- Oh, sure. She's a she. She is the demographic, uh, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but I mean, talking talking with her, talking with a number of other demographers, um, it, it's important to know that the Black community in New York City, at least compared to a lot of other major cities, is really diverse. There's a number of immigrants. And, you know, the reason why, um, you know, there's a reason why I use the term specifically African-American in this story, um, because actually in talking with Dr. Blair and, and crunching some of the numbers, actually the, the Black community overall, that is like the people that check Black on the census, that community has actually remained pretty stable um, in, in part because of a growth of, of immigrants. And I'd actually love for Dr. Blair to, to dive in a little bit more about kind of the, the dynamics that we're seeing here. Yeah, Dr. Blair? If, yeah, sure, if I could jump in. Uh, so yes, we have roughly 30% of the population that say that they're Black. Um, but that just black alone, and it's 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 not the same. It's you have Afro Caribbeans. I mean, New York City in general, or Brooklyn, to be honest with you, it has the largest African diaspora in all of North America. But that consists of Afro Caribbeans, continental Afro Afro uh, continental continental Africans. Um, it consists of um, Afro Latino and Afro Asian. We often leave them out. Uh, there are a lot of people who are Southeast Asians or Asians that are, are Oriental Asians mixed with um, a Caribbean, Chinese, Jamaican, for example. You have a lot of that going on. And so we often forget that there are multiple races in New York City and all throughout the country that say, yes, I am Black and something else, or I am Black and white. And that's a good 10% that we leave out. And so individuals such as the Guyanese, a uh, very rich culture, but say that they're black. They also say that they're Indian. Um, we have uh, the Pakistanis, same thing. Uh, and then you have a large Caribbean community that really uh, jumped on the immigration wave in the 1960s and made New York and, and East Flatbush and a lot of our, our communities home, uh, not just Harlem, but Brooklyn, the Northern Bronx, Southeast Queens. And so you almost could, could pick a spot in New York and say, this is where this community live, right? These are where uh, the Caribbeans are in the Northern Bronx. Uh, these are where both the African-Americans and Caribbeans are in Crown Heights. And, and you know, you can say, 
this is where people from the South, and let's not forget that, right? African-Americans, we, we have not divided that group. Uh, and that's what we're seeing, uh, as the couple pointed out. Uh, there are a lot of people who said, I'm from the South, but I want to return to the South. And you're starting to see that migration again. So it's not just African-Americans or Black, but there are Black from different regions of the country who also have a different culture. And so now those are some of the most shocking things that I was seeing. Uh, oh, wow, we can't just say African-Americans, even our monolithic group, even though we knew Black wasn't a monolithic group. But now we have within the African-American community or people who were born in America or people who just say, I am American, Black American, now you have this dichotomy of people from different regions who are saying, well, maybe it's time that I make it back uh, to where I am from and reclaim some of my heritage there or my, my inheritance there. Well, Dr. Blair, how do you see that affecting the city politically? Um, because, of course, we've seen uh, particularly uh, Democrats, but also to a degree, uh, sometimes the Republican Party, treat the Black vote as one solid voting block. And if we're seeing demographic changes to different parts of the country, does that does that um, dilute the voting block in New York? Does that strengthen it in other places? What do you see politically happening? So it's that's. Thank you for that question, because, you know, black overall, I would say 80 to 90 percent of us, we do vote as a block. Um, and often you find that when there is a black candidate and some and another race, you you would the black candidate would win because of that voting block. Uh, so it's not an accident. Let me point these things out first, that we have uh, a black mayor, a black uh, public advocate. Uh, a black representative in the House of Congress in, in the House of Representatives that's serving as our minority leader. So it's not those are not by accident and the AG, the Attorney General, et cetera, because when you have this conglomerate of black individuals in one place, they tend to have the same political viewpoints. Uh, now, going further, as I've seen in redistricting and as I'm doing the maps and the demographics, what you start to see is, wait a minute, well, depending on where we draw these lines or where, where these community boundaries are cut, we can see, and this is where I think Ari and I would start to agree, uh, we can see that, hey, we don't have this big block anymore. And what if in the next 10 years, we are not able to elect a candidate of choice because uh, we are no longer this large group of individuals. And so that's what we're facing. Um, individuals in, in, in legislative seats, you may still get um, a citywide leader, even a, a statewide leader and other bigger groups. But at the city council level, at the state legislative level, I think you may start to see some challenges uh, there. Arya, do you also see a uh, political shift happening along with the demographic shift? Um, well, Dr. Blair pointed to this kind of irony right now that we're, you know, as as this demographic shift is happening, uh, a number of politicos say that this is a, a time of rising power for, for Black New Yorkers, for African-American New Yorkers, you know, look to City Hall, look to, um, you know, Hakeem Jeffries, uh, who, you know, is the new minority leader in, in you know, the highest levels of, of Congress. Uh, but there is and there is this question of what's going to happen next. You know, 
if this demographic trend continues, can there still be districts drawn? Um, you know, will there still be the same number and and power of districts drawn um, that favor candidates um, desired by by African American voters? Um, and I think it's also important too to note that, like like we said, like the the black population overall of New York City is actually not declining, right? Like it's staying pretty stable in part because of this growing number of African immigrants that we're seeing, um, a, a growing like Afro-Latino population too. And mm-hmm. so what we see is, um, in what has emerged in some instances have been different, uh, you know, different demo, like, you know, like we said, there's not there's not a monolith of, of, the, of the black community in New York City. And so there might be sometimes tensions that emerge between different groups over, over just demographic and interest divides too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, for example, like we see in in Harlem, for example, there's been a shrinking African-American community, shrinking black community overall. Um, recently, like there was a rep Adriano Espeat, one that see, um, he identifies as black, as Dominican American, um, but he beat out um, an African-American contender and replaced a longtime African-American congressman. Um, and there was kind of a, a fear among certain like black, particularly African-American politicos who are saying maybe this is like a moment of shrinking black and, and what they mean is like African-American political power, right? Um, but it's complicated though, right? Because like, you know, Rep. Adrian Espea identifies as black too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a matter of like, how do we wrangle all the different interests of the various like black communities across New York City? And sometimes there's alignment and sometimes there isn't. Well, Anthony and Joanne, I'll give you the final words. We only have about 30 seconds left. But um, do you feel as though uh, not just the community that you're in, but that the state, the, um, I don't know, congressional district, whatever, do you feel as though you could also be represented properly by moving to North Carolina? Um, I would say yes. I mean, different, you know, every politician, black, white, have their own agenda. Um, I have to say this, you know, in New York City, over $80 million worth of property was stolen in the last two years during defraud. I was very involved in studying these cases. So, I mean, black, white, it depends on what the politician is doing. You may have this leadership, but it doesn't mean that they're not part of gentrification. That is definitely a point to be made. And Joanne, is there anything you want to add real quick? Um, to answer your question, I believe that we can be well represented here. Um, there's a large group of, um, there's a good population of um, Blacks in office. And there's even, uh, I would say, like, um, you know, they're giving out um, incentives um, for Black businesses and stuff like that. So I think we um, were definitely. um, That was one of the pluses. You get incentive to move here as you build out your business. They have grants, nice, huge grants to help you build out your business. Thanks for tuning in to Metro Focus. Take our award-winning program wherever you go with Metro Focus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you never miss an episode or simply ask your smart speaker to play Metro Focus, the podcast. Also available at wliw.org slash radio and on the NPR One app.